Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today is October, <laughs> this month, and it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And before you think that, oh God, this is going to be a depressing show, it's actually quite the contrary. The courage and the uh, strength and the will to survive that my guests have all shown, and more than that, their desire to help everybody else, is just phenomenal. Um, if you think about who you know who has breast cancer or had breast cancer, uh, it's amazing to start actually thinking about it, and if you haven't had it yourself, you probably can name at least two people who you know personally who have unfortunately um, you know there there are various reasons for this with our environment getting more polluted and toxic and all that and more stressful our lives getting more stressful um, there are various reasons but the bottom line is that um, our medical establishment is lagging behind as it is in some other illnesses as well you really have to be on top of things whether it's breast cancer or any other kind of illness to make sure that you get the treatment that you deserve and that will um, identify, diagnose, and treat your problem before it has lethal consequences. My guest today um, will tell you a true tales of breast cancer, cover-ups and survival. Um, some of these tales will horrify you in terms of uh, what the medical establishment didn't do and what they did do. Um, and then other tales are uplifting, and some tales are both. And these are tales uh, that weave a tapestry from the breast cancer front. My guests are uh, a survivor, Carolyn Gross. She's the author of Treatable and Beatable. And she had to leave the country to save her breast. Another survivor, Kathy Beauty, uh, the author of Breastless in the City, tells how to find love while surviving breast cancer. William Thiel is the author of A Promise Fulfilled, One Couple's Journey Through Misdiagnosis, Breast Cancer, and Advocacy. He tells a tale of his wife having not been diagnosed in time and um, his fulfilling a promise to her to warn other people, other women, what they need to look for so that the same thing doesn't happen to them. And Kristen Shoreline, she is the founder of Affirmagy. She herself went through an illness, not breast cancer, but that uh, was a turning point in her life as well to want to inspire people, including those with breast cancer, to live lives of intention where they can wrap themselves in positive affirmations and this will help them heal. Um, each of these stories are very different and very touching. And why don't we start with um, Kathy Beauty. Kathy, are you on the line? Yes, I am. It's Kathy Buetti. Oh, I knew I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Okay, Buetti. 
Okay, yes. Well, welcome to the show. Thank I you. read some excerpts from your book, um, and it, it reads like a like a romance novel. Yes, it does. <laughs> the cancer uh, cancer love story, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yes. Well, why don't you tell us about um, some of the tragedies that you had to overcome, starting when you were a child, way before you got breast cancer. Yes, I um, I grew up with a father who was an alcoholic, um, so and he was a pretty raging alcoholic. So it was difficult childhood, and you know, going through that, and his, you know, he's very verbally abusive, and so it was really difficult to grow up, you know, in all in all of that. I have a younger brother, and so it was difficult for both of us and and my mom. And um, my parents had uh, stayed together for many years, and then finally split up when I was in uh, college. So. Um, and then, you know, I met my high school sweetheart when I was 15 years old. Um, and at the time, I was still going through, you know, a lot of difficulties with my family, you know, with my father, even though he had sobered up, he was still a difficult person to deal with. And I kind of found, you know, some solace in, in meeting this wonderful guy when I was, you know, in high school. And, and we kind of were on again, off again, and ended up, you know, falling in love. And we got married when I was 23 years old. And, and he kind of was, you know, a, a real, you know, important person in my life. And we were married for um, only it ha- uh, only about two years. And he was killed in a car accident along with his younger brother, who was only 18 at the time, and my husband was 26. And so mm-hmm. I was 20, you know, 25 years old and a widow, and you know, came from a very difficult family. And you know, losing my husband was like pretty much losing my whole life. Felt like to me at the time. So. Uh-huh. So, and then after having, you know, spent about over the next seven years from there, spent a lot of time trying to, you know, deal with the the issues that I had from, you know, growing up with my dad and and from losing my husband and, uh, you know, had spent some time uh, with a therapist myself and trying to deal with all of that and trying to find out who I was, what I wanted my life to be, and I started taking photography classes and started writing and, you know, trying to really create a life for myself. And then when I was 31 years old, I found a lump in my breast. And I thought, you know, wait a minute, this can't be happening. I, I thought I got all the bad stuff out of the mm. way early, you know, in my life. And and I found the lump and I thought, you know, well, it's probably nothing. I'm too young. I don't have a significant history of breast cancer in my family. I'm only 31 years old. This isn't something I should even have to worry about. So I, you know, I, I kind of went into a little bit of denial and waited a couple months before I got to the doctor because I think as women we have these little instincts and little voices that talk to us, although we don't always listen. I know that if I had listened more to my little voice, it might have kept me having some trouble in my life. Yes. <laughs> and um, so I finally got to the doctor, and then the first doctor I went to was a gynecologist, and he said, oh, he said, you know, it feels soft and it feels movable. You know, cancer is hard under the skin, so this doesn't feel typical of cancer. Besides, you're too young anyway. It's probably not breast cancer. Don't worry about it. But luckily, he sent me for a mammogram, and then from the mammogram, I had an ultrasound because one of the issues with young women getting mammograms is because we have a lot um, more dense tissue in our breast that makes it harder to read. And so I had an ultrasound done. They recommended a biopsy. And I had an excisional biopsy where they removed the whole lump. And even then, when I went to the surgeon, the surgeon said to me, even after he removed it, he's like, I'm 90% sure it's nothing. You're too young to have breast cancer. 
And so then the results came back, and it was cancer. Luckily, it was small. It was a small tumor hidden inside and encapsulated in fat, which is probably the only reason Mm. that I found the lump, because it Mm. was fairly large. So from there, I was faced with, you know, a lot of decisions to be made and and what to do. And in the meanwhile, I'm, I'm an occupational therapist, and I was working in a rehabilitation hospital, and so I'm, you know, single, I'm living on my own, I have bills to pay, you know, luckily I had insurance and, you know, I'm trying to get myself to work and still carry on with my life and now I'm facing, you know, what I think is going to, something that's going to kill me, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, I'm, you know, now thrown into, you know, okay, what do I do now and and what doctor do I go to and, you know, making all these decisions and feeling, you know, pretty alone, you know, I mean, I have friends that were helping me and my family tried to help as much as they could and be there, support me, but it still feels pretty isolating when you're my age and you hear a diagnosis of breast cancer and you don't know anybody else that's young mm-hmm. that's, you know, also going through it. So, And in the and I was also out there dating. And, and so I, I had, two years before that, I had signed on to a website to try to meet guys. And so I spent, the you know, that couple of years, you know, meeting guys and, you know, meeting a lot of, um, you know, nice guys, not so nice guys. So I was out there, you know, dating, which is difficult in itself. And now I'm faced with breast cancer and, you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, how am I going to continue to live my life through this? And so I had gone to a couple of doctors who recommended a lumpectomy, and I had opted to have a mastectomy when, um, against, you know, kind of against their advice, just because I felt like it was just what I needed to do for my own peace of mind. Um, and I decided on a mastectomy, and then I had reconstruction where they removed some belly fat and made a new breast out of it. So that was 10 hours of surgery, a week in the hospital, and I was out of work for three months. And then um, I had uh, luckily only one lymph node that was involved out of 20 with you know that had some traces of cancer in it. So I had to get treated um, with chemotherapy for six months, and I lost my hair and was you know sick the whole you know the whole thing. So I have had people ask me, you know, so how did you continue dating when you yes. know when you're going through all that? And I think that what it was for me was when I was, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer and you think it's an instant death sentence, and I think that my continuing with the parts of my life that, you know, made me still feel, you know, like I, it made sense was, you know, dating. And I think it was a way for me to hold on what felt normal and what made me still feel like I was out there in the world and I was somehow living my life. You know, continuing to go to work, continuing to go out with friends and still looking to find love. I was still somehow hopeful that I would, you know, find love again, even with losing my husband all those years before. And you you talk about some um, stories where after you would go out with some guys and you would then tell them what that you were that you had cancer, mm-hmm. that um, some of them would run for the hills. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of them would run for the hills. I had I had difficulty, you know, trying to figure out, you know, when when should I tell them and how should I tell them and and I think that what I've learned from that is that, you know, when you're when you're faced with telling something as you know, as difficult as that and you get reactions from guys or, you know, if it's a man you get reactions from women, you know, I think that, you know, you have to kind of realize that it's really just about what they're going through and what where they're coming from and not that you know, it's anything that you did wrong. It's, it's really hard because when you're diagnosed with cancer, you know, you feel like, oh, I don't want to, you know, part of me felt like I don't want anybody to know, but I'm not going to be able to hide it soon. I'm going to lose my hair. I'll be in a wig and I lost my breast. And, but it was difficult, you know, sharing that with 
a guy, and at first I wasn't, you know, saying anything right away. I was going on a few dates, and I still had my hair, you know, from chemo. I hadn't had my surgery yet, and I said, well, I don't really have to say anything. But it was hard because it started to become a secret, and I shouldn't have, you know, and then I was starting to feel like, oh, this is this awful secret that I have to hide, and that was starting to affect my self-esteem, and and then I'm starting to get close to people that potentially, you know, then, then they'd hear that I had cancer, and they were like, you know, one guy was nice about it and said, well, I can't handle this, you know, I really like you, but, I, you know, this is something that I could deal with right now. And then, there, you know, there were guys further on down the road as I was, you know, deep into my treatments that, you know, I, I had dated, and they already, they were okay. There was one particular guy that was okay that I had cancer, and he was okay with that. But then as I was, you know, going through it, I was starting to realize that I think that what I, what I was connecting with in him was that he was okay with me having cancer and I was missing all these red flags of how he was treating me and the type of person that he was because I was so, you know, afraid and feeling so bad about myself, what I was going through. And when I finally got strong enough to say, you know, this isn't working out for me, I, you know, I don't think we should see each other anymore, his response was, well, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure, you know, why? And he says, well, you may want to rethink that because, you know, who's going to want to be with a girl that has cancer? You're lucky that you met me. Yes, yes, so that gives him a lot of power. Um, You know, of course, for some people, when they hear that the person they're going out with has cancer, I mean, it's a whole complicated situation, but part of it is fear of abandonment that gets awakened in them. Uh, the yes. feeling that if I start to really love this person and then she mm-hmm. dies, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be devastated. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when we come back, you can uh, finish the story by telling us how you met your husband, the man that you then did meet and marry, and, and um, what distinguished him from these other people. Okay, great. <laughs> we, we're talking today with um, people who are telling you a tapestry of true tales of breast cancer, cover-ups, and survival. Uh, My guests today are Carolyn Gross, William Thiel, Kathy Buetti, and (laughs) Kristen Sherline. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas, your premier source for faith based entertainment, news, events, and trends. 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking with people who have their own perspective on uh, breast cancer, their own heroic tales, uh, although each one is very different. And uh, we were talking with Kathy Buetti, who wrote a book called Breathless in the City. And um, right before the break, I, you were going to be telling us how you finally met uh, the love of your life and were able to tell, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what made him different or, you know, to meet somebody who didn't want to use the fact that you had breast cancer as a way to overpower you or right. also as something to be afraid of. Right, so this is the the happy part of my my yeah. story. Um, I um, I continued you know with my dating. I was approaching the end of my treatments. I had a couple of treatments left, and I was still for whatever reason, you know, not getting discouraged. I kept putting myself out there, and was still trying to you know meet the right guy. And one particular night, I, I started talking online with somebody, and and I said, you know, I'm just going to tell him right up front what I'm going through, even before I meet him, you mm. know, because. I was getting very, you know, so discouraged. And so I started telling him, you know, I have breast cancer and I lost my breast and my hair and the whole bit. And so he responded back to me and he had shared with me that he just lost his mom to breast cancer mm. a month before he had, before, you know, earlier. Um, so instantly I sat at the computer and I said, oh, well, you know, forget this guy because, you know, he just lost his mother. Why is he going to want to meet somebody going through what, you know, the yes. same disease and all of that? And so I said to him, I was so sorry to hear about that. And, you know, I said, I'll understand if you don't want to continue speaking or, you know, meet. And he said, well, you know, breast cancer, you sounds like you caught it early and, it, and so many people survive it. You know, of course I would like to meet you. And, and so we decided to meet. And he was just such a nice, kind person, different than anybody that I had ever met. And, you know, he was meeting me at, like, my lowest point, you know, when I was bald and I had had surgery and I had scars and, and just made me feel really comfortable about everything, and he was really, you know, open about sharing about his mom. And, you know, one of the things that he shared with me, because he, you know, um, there were people that had asked him, well, you know, weren't you afraid, and, and, you know, why did why what made it okay to, you know, that you felt okay to meet her? And he said, you know, watching his mom go through her illness, which, you know, she had passed away very quickly, they found it too late, 
but he said, you know, I knew that that didn't change the type of person that she was. Mm. So he said, meeting me, he knew that the kind of person that I seemed to be, it wasn't going to be different because I had cancer. Mm. It wasn't going to change me. So mm. that was the place where, you know, he was coming from, like you were saying earlier. It's, you know, it's about kind of what the place where, you know, people are coming from into, you know, a relationship or into, you know, meeting it kind of, you know, what their issues are could kind of crop up, you know, and, and not really anything that, you know, you did in particular. Right. So. Right. so we had huh. gotten engaged six months later and then got married the following year, and we celebrated our fourth anniversary this past May. So it's, uh, it's been, an, you know, an amazing amazing journey and, and amazing to be able to meet, you know, somebody so wonderful and, and find love again in the midst of, you know, this horrible yeah. diagnosis that I had gotten. Yeah. Well, I'm very happy for you. And um, while we're talking about relationships, um, why don't I introduce William Thiel, who is the author of A Promise Fulfilled, One Couple's Journey Through Misdiagnosis, Breast Cancer, and Advocacy. William, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I watched your uh, your the tape of your wife, um, very moving. At the end of the show, I'm going to give um, the websites for all of you. Um, but it was just a very, a very moving video that your wife made as she realized that she was dying. Why don't you tell us her story? Um, Maureen found a breast lump in 1994, November, and she went to the doctor with it and had a mammogram and an ultrasound, and they said it was a simple cyst to don't worry about it, come back in a year. So we went home happy. We heard what every woman wants to hear, the good news. Okay? Yeah. And Maureen, six months after that appointment, her underwire bras were digging into this lump and bothering her, and I couldn't hold her the way that I used to hold her at night because my arm would bother that lump. So she went. To, she wanted to get a second opinion, and she went, and the doctor said she wasn't due for any test, but did a clinical breast exam, a different doctor, and found another lump and said, don't worry about it. It feels like a simple cyst. And she said, you probably have fibrocystic changes in your breast, very common in women. Come back when you're due for your test. So she did, Maureen did in six months in November of 95. She had a mammogram, an ultrasound, and it showed two cysts, and they told her that they were nothing to worry about. Again, we heard the good news and said to come back in a year. So six months again, Maureen said, I want to get a third opinion, and I want to see a surgeon this time. So we both went back to the second doctor. We got an appointment with the surgeon to get the lumps removed. If there was nothing there to worry about and they were bothering her, let's just get them out of there. So he did an ultrasound in his office and came back and said he couldn't remove the two lumps because she had way too many lumps now. That that confirms his diagnosis of fibrocystic changes and simple cysts. Don't worry about it. Come back in a year. Seven months later, Maureen felt a lump under her arm, and we changed insurance. And Maureen went to the doctor and told them the history of the lumps in her breast and they immediately ordered mammogram, ultrasound, and a biopsy, the first time we heard that word. And after that biopsy, um, that's when this whole story begins. Maureen was diagnosed with stage 3 metastatic breast cancer, already spread to her bones, and 
you'll probably never hear this. I hope you never hear this again. She had 47 out of 47 positive lymph nodes hmm. involved. Her prognosis was less than two years survival. Um, there was no, um, that's what her diagnosis was. Um, they did start her on chemotherapy, um, adriamycin, which the cancer spread during that regimen of six, um, six, uh, you know, the six weeks or whatever, but they changed her to Taxol, and then that didn't work, and the, they, she opted for stem cell transplant. Maureen was a pioneer to stem cell transplant in 1997. And the stem cell transplant is a whole chapter in my book, and I don't want to go into it, but after that stem cell transplant, her breast that was as hard as a softball became soft again hmm. and normal. Hmm. And there was hope with me and Maureen. And anyway, about 10 days after we got back from stem cell transplant, her cancer came back. She had a, immediately, she had an emergency left radical mastectomy, and then she started radiation. And then 30 days after that, her breast cancer spread to her right breast, and she had a right radical mastectomy. That was at the end of January. And then five weeks later, it spread to her brain. She had full cranial radiation besides the radiation she was still having on her chest walls. Then, oh, um, the second week of April, um, it spread to her lungs, and she had her first lung tap. And then she had her second lung tap, and they, then that was the end. Um, Maureen died a horrible death. She drowned to death in the, in the cancer fluid from her lung. Mm -hmm. But she... Um, what Maureen did, though, this is the good part, is um, she called me into the bedroom a few weeks before the last day that, you know, the last day of her life, and she said, asked me to sit down, and I did, and she asked me to tell her story and um, save another woman's life. She made me promise her, and I've never given up on that promise. It's almost 10 years now. It's taken me seven years of my life to understand exactly what killed Maureen. You know, how did the health care system that we are supposed to trust, you know, fail Maureen? Yeah. And the more, the more that I studied it for seven years, the more that I realized that what killed Maureen was something that's killed thousands of women before Maureen, and it's going to kill thousands of more women because of what what we have, you know, and um, so I promised Maureen that I'd tell her well, story, and wait. I wrote this book. Okay, what do you mean? Because what we have, because of insurance, because of incompetent doctors, because of no, all of the above. What, no, that's all of the above. But what killed Maureen, and what's killing the women, and and destroying our families? Because what's going on is women are treated with less than standard of care. And if you look on September 28th, a CNN reporter, um, the medical reporter, Elizabeth Cohan, put out an article called Empowered Patient. And what's the most misdiagnosed cancer is cancer. And what's the um, most misdiagnosed cancer in our country? Breast cancer and colorectal. I mean, col col colorectal, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But the, all of this, the study authors attribute this to doctors failing to stick to cancer screening guidelines. 
And what you can have a set of doctors on one side of the street that will go in there and they're real aggressive with the woman's slump. They're aggressive on the follow-up. And um, you can, you're going to get an early correct diagnosis. You can go to another community and the doctors can agree that waiting six months or 12 months on, 12 months on a follow-up of a breast slump is standard of care. And it's not, according to the national experts. There's nothing in this country to mandate that any doctor follow a standard of care in diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up of a breast lump. Had there been something, a lot of women would have caught their breast cancer early because of the correct follow-up. And that's what you're trying to promote, that there is the same uh, standard of care wherever you are, and uh, which is a much more aggressive standard of care to really... Uh, as you say, to assume that it is cancer until proven otherwise, and then women would would get diagnosed and treated much earlier. I mean, it is really sad hearing you tell the story. It's like you were trying to, you kept trying to, once they diagnosed her, it was like you were already late in the game and you kept trying to catch up and then she kept developing more problems. I mean, once once you're there already, it's harder and harder to catch up. You can't, no, Maureen never played catch-up. It just slowly killed her because she had so many lymph nodes involved. It was already throughout her whole body. Right. I mean, that's what I mean, that it was hard to sort of... Uh, it had gotten away from everybody by Maureen, that point. Maureen, Maureen was denied, just as many other women are, her right for an early correct diagnosis, her right to fight and beat her breast cancer at its earliest stage, which is the only a prayer a woman has. When you think about it, you have to catch it early. Yes. You know, it's um, it's it's not good. Um, I'm working on a lot of things. All right. You know, we... my book that my book that I have wrote. It's very important that um, women do not have the tools necessary to be their best patient advocate in uh... breast health care. They don't. Yes. Those tools must include education on delayed diagnosis yes. and misdiagnosis. Yes. Well, we do need to take a break now. <laughs> Obviously, these are very important things that uh, we that we need to raise awareness of. Um, this is Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about breast cancer awareness with four stories, um, looking at the problem in different ways, and uh, we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Everything you want, everything you want to do, and everything you want to have is right at your fingertips. People think that accomplishing your goals has to be difficult. Guess what? It doesn't. All you need are the right tools and a map. And that is what author, professional speaker, and now talk radio host Charmin Lane is offering you. Join Charmin Wednesday afternoons at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel for success made simple. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. 
On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, for National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're looking at breast cancer from four different perspectives. Um, and... We've been talking about some of the failures of the medical system, and um, you know, certainly breast cancer is a, a great example of that, of how you can um, not be diagnosed in time and not be treated in time. But you know, this is getting to be a problem in more and more medical conditions where you can't just depend upon your doctor the way we used to be able to or way or the way we thought we used to be able to. Uh, it's almost like you have to. Uh, figure out your diagnosis by yourself and then insist on them doing certain tests. And even then, there's this push to um, to keep the cost of health care down, whether it's doctors or uh, who are taught that or um, uh, insurance companies, certainly, who want to keep the cost down. And another horror story that we're going to hear, although it has a happy ending because she is a survivor of breast cancer, uh, is Carolyn Gross. And she is the author of Treatable and Beatable. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. Dr. Carol, it's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. I kind of figured you would um, (laughs) sit right after. um... (laughs) Yeah, you you lined it up good today. I'm I'm (laughs) impressed. And, you know, I almost want to say mine wasn't a horror story. Um, Do you mind if I interject that? Sure. Well, I guess I was talking about how... um, you know how you didn't want to go along with the traditional um, ways of Western medicine, and how um, that you feel that um, that there are other treatments that people in America aren't being offered. Well, um, and and here's what I mean by that: having heard William's story and his wife Maureen, I mean that's that's pretty, you know, that's to me about as bad as it gets. So it's so um, it's so noticeable. But 
if I just briefly share that I was diagnosed at stage three, you know, and that's similar to where the last, um, you know, Maureen, you know, William's wife was at. The interesting thing, you know, listening to what his passion is from his story and comparing that with my passion from my story is I was diagnosed with stage three. Yes, indeed, I found the lump myself. I was getting regular mammograms because both of my grandmothers had breast cancer. But, you know, I have to tell you, Dr. Carroll, I never lived in fear of it. You know, I was one of those people where it ran in the family, but I didn't live like, oh, I wonder when I'll get it or if I've Mm -hmm. got it. Do you know what I'm saying? I never lived with that cloud over my head. So I was kind of shocked when I found myself um, touring after September 11th uh, my first book, Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos. And you, you know, as an author, you know how this is. I mean, if you write a book and it becomes significant to the times that we're living in, mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. You know, so here I am doing like 25 book signings for Barnes & Noble and suddenly I'm not excited to go and show up on location. I thought, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? I'm really high maintenance, you know. <laughs> yes. and, and that was the fatigue, and that was my only sign, you know, that I was, in fact, you know, I had cancer. Yes. And so when I found the lump and then got into the diagnostic process that took so long for Maureen um, and got into the mammogram and, and um, ultrasound and needle biopsy to find out, indeed, it was stage three. Here I am lining up now for the surgical appointments and what have you and, and to get the expert opinion, and there they are offering me the exact same treatment both of my grandmothers got 30 years ago. Hmm. See, that was the defining moment for me. I thought, my God, you know, what do we do the same as 30 years ago? Yes. You know, I mean, you know, look at any part of our lives from, you know, the phones we have, the faxes we have. Oh, that's right, we didn't have those things 30 years ago. And I'm like, you're doing the exact same thing. And that's when I got on my horse, if you will, to see if there was another way out because it was explained to me after three doctors said nothing but a complete mastectomy and full courses of chemotherapy and radiation, and there are no guarantees. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I've been working my tail off promoting this book. I'm really tired. I've got stage three cancer, and now you want to open me up, poison me, and burn me. I don't know. I don't think <laughs> I'm up for it. I don't think I'm going to... And the truth of my story is I was more afraid of the treatment they were offering me. And by the way, in the state of California, that was the only thing legally that they could offer me. And that's where my passion comes in, was here I am, you know, a taxpaying citizen with great medical benefits. You know, my husband works for Whole Foods. We've got organic in our family. That wasn't meant to be a plug. But I'm just saying, you know, we're living right uh-huh. And you're going to tell me I have no choice but for you to take my breast away? And, you know, when I tell my story, you know, I want people to hear Kathy in her story, your first guest. Yes. I believe the treatable and beatable mindset is we make that choice kind of deep within ourselves. 
you know, she was offered a lumpectomy and wanted a mastectomy. Right on, Kathy. You fight for your mastectomy, you know, because I think we all have kind of a different formula and way out of this thing. Yes. If, if we're blessed, okay, <laughs> you know, and, and it isn't our time. Yes, where you have to listen to your inner wisdom. Exactly. Yes. And so you went to Mexico. That I had to. I mean, other... Uh, I, the only way to save my breast, as you stated so eloquently, was I had to leave the country. Um, how did you find this place, and what did they do that was different? Well, I found, I found it from a friend who'd had a brain tumor that, you know, had been healed. And um, it turned out that the doctor was using cancer vaccines, immunotherapy, educating the immune system how to recognize and destroy the tumor so that my own immune system healed my own cancer. Yes, which makes, you know, so much more sense than poisoning um, our bodies with chemo and radiation. And that, so what, um, so what have you been trying to do? To, have you been trying to get the system, the American system, to pay more attention to this? Well, essentially the book came out in May, Treatable and Beatable, Healing Cancer Without Surgery. We have started a website, treatableandbeatable.com. You're going to mention everybody's. I realize yes. that at the end. But we absolutely, our mission is to advance treatment options, also to provide education, what William was talking about, and inspiration in the cancer patient community. But now you say that um, you think that there's a reason why the cancer vaccine isn't available in the States, and what do you think that is? Money. Could you elaborate? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially now that it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But it, it actually goes way back from that. It's just that this is a very high-profit uh, situation right now. Because, again, if you remove a breast, then there's the option B, you know, to have another surgery and build another breast. Also, if they start to do some of the BRCA1 and 2 testing, they may find, oh, maybe you should take the other breast just so it doesn't spread. And I, um, in, in doing uh, interviews for Inspire Radio Show, was talking to women that were also having healthy ovaries removed just because it might spread there. Do you see the profit we're talking about here? Well, it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, um, you know, they're, by having all these different treatments, um, yes, there's a profit incentive, but on the other hand, um, there's also a component of the medical system that is trying to prevent access to these things because it is expensive. I mean, it, I, it comes down to, I guess, um, what people can afford. Okay, oh, that's such a good point. You're right, because the medical system doesn't pay for everything. You know, absolutely, you're right on that. It's funny, though, you know, for, for whatever the reason, my, my um, positioning, I used to do something called cranial sacral therapy, head, neck, and spine, you know, slight adjustments in the cranial system, nothing like chiropractic. But when my clients would come in with TMJ and disc problems, always in the medical community they would want to do surgery. To, you know, they'd be in pain and they'd say, we'll scrape the bone, we'll fuse the discs, those kinds of things. And it never came from me, I always say. But this, this thing I would always tell my clients before they would leave, I'd say, you know, just make surgery your last resort. Explore all your options first. It could be a permanent 
solution to a temporary situation. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's all very complex, and the, the answer really is to find out, uh, to be your own doctor in a sense, to find out as much as you can find out, and there are lots of organizations who provide uh, information, but to, to not just limit oneself to traditional Western medicine and to realize that there are other things out there as well. Why don't we, um, I'd like to invite Kristen Sherline to get into the act. <laughs> Kristen, you didn't have breast cancer, but you no. did um, go through an illness that changed your life too. That's true. Um, five years ago at the age of 32, I found myself deeply fatigued. My hair was falling out. Um, I was experiencing night sweats and vertigo, and I literally went to my doctor and I said, I think I'm dying, which was sort of tongue-in-cheek, but for someone that's as high energy and, and active as I am, to literally be as worn out and tired as I was in such a quick amount of time was really concerning. I found out nine days before Christmas that I actually was diagnosed with Graves' disease, which is a hyperactive thyroid my um, body was attacking itself, essentially. And I had the experience of sitting across the, the table from a doctor who shared with me that I'd be sick for a very, very long time and um, that I might get better for a short period and that somewhere in my lifetime I'd probably have to have my thyroid radically removed or killed off with radiation. And I remember thinking in that moment, lady, that may be your story for my life. It's mm-hmm. not going to be the story of my life. And that became, began my journey of healing. And from there you founded Affirmagy. Yeah, really. About a, I was able to get myself into remission in about seven months um, with a combination of Western, Eastern um, philosophies and treatments. And what came out of that process was um, my experience with the absolute amazing impact of positive affirmations and my ability to shift how I felt, shift my experience of the day through what I, the inner dialogue that I had with myself. And out of that came a, a company called Affirmagy that makes a line of fleece blankets that are imprinted with positive affirmations. Yes, and I love that idea, the concept of wrapping yourself in these positive affirmations, like literally wrapping yourself in it. Yeah, what I found when I was going through my own healing process was self-care and listening to my inner voice was really what got me from point A to point B so quickly. It was a very challenging time in seven months of my life that... um really made an impact on all different facets of who I am as a woman, my spiritual life, my family, certainly my business took an enormous hit. And Affirmagy came out of what are the qualities that I want to surround myself in, and I wanted more love and more abundance and more joy and more courage, and those became the themes of the blankets that we now create. And you have a special um, breast cancer awareness package. Yeah, you hit it right on the head at the top of the show. I, too, have two women, very significant women in my life who are survivors. And just about a year ago, I received an email from one of our customers, a woman that I'd never met. And she shared with me the story of how she took our our pink courage blanket and gave it to her friend her last week in hospice as she was fighting Mm -hmm. at the end of her battle with breast cancer. 
And what I realized in that moment was, again, not only did I have significant women who were survivors and how blessed I was, but I realized that I had a product that really touched the hearts of people that I could use to raise money for education and research against this disease that truly touches so many of our lives. And um, so you have combined it with... (laughs) What we did is we partnered with the folks at Chicken Soup for the Soul. They have a book, Chicken Soup for the Breast Cancer Survivor Soul. It's inspirational stories of survivors and their own challenges and victories. Taken that book partnered it with that same Pink Courage blanket, and we're returning 20% of the purchase price of that bundle back to charities that support education and research for breast cancer. Yes, and I will um, give out, uh, I'll have you all each give out your websites. Um, I'm just going to throw it open. Does anyone, would anyone like to comment on any of the um, uh, stories that uh, that you heard the other another guest talk about? If I could make a comment, would that be okay? Sure. Um, With the alternative treatment, um, women have to look into the alternative treatment, and they'll find out that the statistics are unbelievable. And when you talk about the money situation, um, some of the treatments that women can get, the insurance companies don't have to pay for um, or they won't pay for them, but they're a lot cheaper. Doctors don't make any money. Pharmaceutical companies don't make any money. And that's a key ingredient as to why we don't know about them, because cancer is an industry. And um, the last thing that I say that's the most important is there's women that are sitting at home right now that are just like Maureen. They were told, don't worry about their breast lump. And guess what? Some of those women do, in fact, have breast cancer. I've found some of those women. And some of those women are going to, they're surviving now, but I've lost some women because I didn't get the Maureen story fast enough. That's my main mission, mm-hmm. is to educate. I mean, that's not good. They're sitting at home happy right now like Maureen yes. was. Yes, because we don't want to hear the diagnosis of cancer. Well, why don't you, William, why don't you give out your website address? It's mission. Dot org and that's all one word M A U R E E N S M I S S I O N dot org and all the profits from my book are going to my nonprofit Maureen's Mission okay. for education um, on delayed diagnosis and misdiagnosis. Well, that's wonderful. And Kathy Buetti, could you give us your website? Sure, it's www.kathybuetti C A T H Y B-U-E-T-I dot com. That's my website, and I have uh, a lot of, you know, resources, especially for, uh, you know, younger people, because I feel very strongly about ending, you know, isolation with younger people, but also, you know, wanted to write my story to, you know, encourage other young women to be, you know, proactive about their health. Yes, because this is a population that really hasn't had much directed towards them. You know, the whole issue of dating and and finding love, and mm-hmm. you know, um, the the kinds of things that people, women in their twenties and thirties, are focused on, um, right. and who feel isolated because so many of the other women with breast cancer are older. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and Carolyn. Yes, I, I'm going to give another website. It'll be my name, Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Gross, G 
G-R-O-S-S dot com. The book Treatable and Beatable is on that site, and a link to Treatable and Beatable is there as well. But the reason I'm giving that site is because for listeners in the Southern California area, on October the 25th, there's a special event, and it's on the site for people interested, where um, a very advanced health center is going to talk about some of these alternative and advanced therapies that are less invasive on October the 25th. So for interested people, I just thought I'd direct them to that site instead and give them an open invitation. It is free. Okay, that's great. And Kristen? Our website is Affirmagy, and that's A-F-F, like Frank Frank, I-R-M-A-G-Y.com. Okay, and um, one thing that I want to make sure that people uh, know is that a few years back, oh, I don't know, maybe about eight years ago or so, um, the some the AMA or some organization that uh, you would think knew what they should be talking about uh, told women that they only need mammograms every two years instead of every one year, and that is that was just a cost-cutting measure, propaganda. That was, um, yes, that was propagated by, I don't really remember the organization, the Cancer Association, or I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but it was all, it was in the media, um, people grabbed onto that, oh, you only need to get a mammogram every two years, and that is absolutely wrong. You need to get it every year, especially, um, you know, the older you are, but especially also if you have breast cancer in your family, and if you feel a lump. I mean, you know, so anybody who um, tries to tell you, tries to dissuade you from getting these mammograms, you should not listen to them. You should listen to the wisdom of your body. Another thing I want to say is um, one of the treatments that, uh, as a psychiatrist, I've been involved in and have seen uh, wonderful progress, not necessarily instead of um, some other treatments, but certainly in conjunction with, and that is guided imagery to be able to visualize um, cancer cells being attacked, uh, to be able to visualize different stories in your own life. Basically, these are waking dreams, and it's a non-invasive way of um, trying to get your immune system to work better and to help cancer. It also works with, with various other physical illnesses. I mean, one cannot forget the connection between the mind and the body, and uh, there are all these other treatments as well. So again, I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Carolyn Gross. She is the author of Treatable and Beatable. William Field, the author of A Promise Fulfilled, One Couple's Journey Through Misdiagnosis, Breast Cancer, and Advocacy. Kathy Buetti, the author of Breastless in the City. And Kristen Shoreline, the founder of Affirmagy where uh, the affirmations, people are wrapped in positive affirmations, and for Breast Cancer Month, they are also uh, combining that with um, the chicken soup for the breast cancer survivor's soul. So please check out all of these websites, and um, I hope that uh, that we have all... Obviously, my guests all feel passionate about getting their message across, the things that they have learned the hard way. So I hope that this helps all of my listeners um, to think about things in a more open, less fearful kind of way so that you can get the help that you need and you can help 
friends and relatives get the help that they need. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.